no matter what profession you're in, whether you're an engineer or a teacher or a health worker, the habits and skills you have to manage yourself, to manage your time and to manage your attention are actually a really critical part. Welcome to Be Bold Branding, where we discuss the power of differentiating yourself through your own unique story and standout personal brand. When we think of the chaotic, always-on world that we live in, it's hard to conceive of unplugging from technology for more than five minutes, right? We feel we might miss out on something or fall behind. Well, our guest today proves otherwise. Daniel C. is a productivity expert, award-winning author, and international speaker. One of his books is Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. Where have you been all my life, my friend? <laughs> all right. Michael and I have not only thought about this over the last year, we've actually taken steps to make it happen. And that's why we have been so excited to have Daniel on our show today. Yep. Daniel, welcome to Be Bold Branding. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is an incredible conversation and topic, really and truly. But, you know, we like to start with our guest about, because we're, we're about personal branding, right? So we like to start with something personal. Share with us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you even end up in the space where you would be helping people to learn how to unplug a little? Mm, yeah, it's a pretty funny profession, isn't it? I kind of say to people, like people like executives and C-suite leaders, they come to me and pay me to coach them how to turn, a th turn a th off their phone, which is <laughs> a bit unusual. So uh, how do you become a productivity consultant? I, I do remember even when I started calling myself that, I'm thinking, this is just a made-up name. I'm just totally making this up and hoping it sticks. <laughs> uh, so I used to be a physiotherapist, or maybe you'd call them a physical therapist in the States. And uh, so I did that for about a decade, and then I moved into management and project management. Uh, I've done a whole bunch of other things around Christian ministry and also writing and speaking. But uh, throughout that process, I... It's just started to become really passionate about how I work and how people work. And I realized that no matter what profession you're in, whether you're an engineer or a teacher or a health worker, the habits and skills you have to manage yourself, to manage your time and to manage your attention are actually a really critical part of leading and coaching and speaking, no, no matter what you do. And I personally didn't have the skills I needed when I became a manager to do that. And there was one particular point where I did nearly burn out. Uh, I had you know, young kids. I was building a house. I'm a type A personality. I'm an entrepreneur. I love starting stuff. And I had no time or margin in my life. Uh, and I had all this responsibility. And I started to get breathing difficulties. Actually, that's where it began. And I just, I felt fine. But I would stand up in front of my team and I would just feel breathless. And then I would feel breathless at the dinner table uh, been breathless when I was just reading books to my kids at night and, and it started to really concern me. And so I had all these tests and there was nothing wrong with my body in terms of lungs and heart. You know, I'm very thankful for that, but it was, yeah, stress and anxiety. And, and I had been just working so hard, uh, that my body was saying no, it's time to stop. And yeah. And so in that sense, I, I needed to stop. I took took time off work and it was a real change in my life where I started to think about why I work so hard or why I work the way I do and the value of space in my life which is where my business space maker came from it's about space for leaders to think and rest and plan and breathe and to shift the way they work by knowing who they are and where they're heading 
and shaping their habits accordingly. So that was, in, in part, it was because I was passionate about seeing how we could work differently. And then it was also because I realized that I wasn't living up to my own ideals and I needed to learn to create space in my life. And from there, it eventually became a business where I helped others with what I'd learned. That's great. Yeah. You know, before we went live, we were actually having this conversation, all the listeners in on. We talked about the last few years with the pandemic and everything going from, you know, face-to-face, person-to-person contact to behind the camera. And then all of a sudden we realized we could cram a whole lot more meetings in that way. And the calendars became littered, right, with everything. And then as podcasters, we looked at that and at our calendars even farther and said, oh my gosh, now there are our own podcasts on the calendar and we're guests on other people's podcasts, which is all wonderful. But at the end of the day, there's only so much time And so living surrounded by this digital age, it really is tough because everybody we meet, we love them, right? If we could do nothing but this all day, this would be awesome, but you got to do other things. So we really had to look carefully. What's some advice you can give people about prioritizing? Mm, Yeah. Can I, can I go back a step and give some context? Absolutely. Sure. Actually, you can't prioritize without a context because you know, you're imagining this, okay, you get emails, you're getting Zoom requests, you're getting podcast requests, you're getting all these different things, plus, you know, work and life and dance rehearsals and, and Netflix possibilities. I mean, it goes on and on. If you don't know what you're trying to achieve or what really matters to you in that bigger sense, well, then you can't make day-to-day priorities. So when people come to me, I run a course called Priority Samurai, which is about how do you actually do the things you want to do on a weekly basis to get where you want to head. But the first thing you need to do is understand your context and then know what you want to achieve and why you're not getting there. Um, so I'm, I'm doing a TEDx talk in like two weeks. And the first thing I'm doing, uh, are we recording video? We are, aren't we? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I get a glass basically and I fill it up and I'm just going to pour water, water, water until it spills all over the place. And for me, that represents the question you're asking that in the digital age, there's more information, more emails, more tasks we can get through. And that the cup is our finite capacity. So it's our finite time, energy, and attention. And the, the water that flows out is just the endless possibilities. I mean, even if you just look at the audio books or podcasts I could listen to, they're endless nowadays, aren't they? Yep. Uh, let alone the conversations and, and the different sports and activities and self-help things I should or must do for myself to be a better person. I mean, literally, there's just more information than most of us can manage. So I think uh, most leaders and entrepreneurs and coaches are now in a situation where we will always have more than we can do or feel we should do. And there's always, there's more information, more opportunities than we can take up. And the cup is overflowing. You'll never finish on a Friday and say, I did everything I wanted to do. Right. Uh, And it's not realistic to think that anymore because of the exponential speed of change. And so therefore, I would say the first thing we need to do to answer your question, Tonya, is to accept the reality that life is a messy garden or an overflowing glass and that the only choices we really have are not not where we tidy it all up and put the lid on, but uh, what do we put in first as a priority and, and also what do we learn to accept will just flow out and not be possible simply because you can't get it all done. So we understand what it means for that glass to be completely overflowing. Mm-hmm. So everything's in context. I love that, by the way, because it's like the answer, it depends, right? 
It depends on what the context is. So it depends on what your priorities are and where you're trying to go. So I'm going to ask you a crazy question. What kind of advice, not knowing the context, right? Just knowing there's a complete, like the glass is overfilled. Would you give to somebody like Michael whose phone never stops ringing? Well, that's a, that's a great thing because the, the second part of our context, you're going to hate this, I so will get specific soon, is that most of us are filling our glass with a lot of digital tech. And if you want to find the quick wins, if you want to find time for, let's say, other things like reading a book or hanging out with your kids or going for a walk or just having enough quiet to reflect on the emotions of your day, does that make sense? Like most of the time we don't have the space because we're filling our glass first with tech notifications and emails and social media and news feeds. Does that make sense? And yes. so, um, obviously I don't know your particular habits, Michael, or your context, but what I do know is that if you're, what well, I do know the work you're in and because we're online, because we have a global audience, because we use technology for almost everything, there comes a point where you can fill your glass so much unintentionally with digital tech. And some of it isn't as meaningful as other things and therefore it that the tension begins to arise you know what do i not put in my glass mm -hmm. in order to then focus on other areas of life that make me experience the depth and breadth and, and fullness of life that i want to live so often the quick wins are the digital tech stuff and unplugging so when i run a course making space which is a digital well-being course we begin by getting people to define their personal well-being. So we, we do like a wheel and, and there's like eight quadrants and you can self-define what matters to you. But almost everyone puts in things like family and physical or mental health, maybe sleep, obviously work, meaningful work, money. Uh, you know, people put in some things that like uh, environmental ethics or, or justice or volunteering or faith. But, but whatever you put in, when I then ask, okay, well, how are you going with those areas? People often struggle with quite a few of them, just like I do. Mm -hmm. And then it's, oh, if you wanted to have more time for those things, where will you find it? <laughs> and it's almost always from social media or online meetings or emails or tech stuff. It's almost always that, you know, if I need to get five hours back to exercise throughout the week, and that would completely transform my life. But I'm spending, uh, the average Australian adult spends 9.4 to 12 hours a day on screens. Well, where are you going to get that time? Because wow. your class is finite. It's, it's limited, right? Every right. hour of TikTok is one hour you don't have for exercise. Right. And so my gut feel for most of us is that we find our quick wins by just pegging back a bit of digital overuse and adding in a bit of something that actually aligns with our values that will, will give us a, a greater sense of joy or a greater sense of meaning in work and life. And mm -hmm. there's lots of research in that. I might even talk about how productivity and tech works. That might be helpful, but does that does that connect with what it you're does? Yes, and please. It sure does, because it, you said something, what I liked about your, what you're gonna do with your TED talk in the water is, and you said is there's an endless supply. And that is so true. Like me and Tanya have been trying to define this for years. We've been in this game 11 years and we're like, it's, we've never seen more opportunity. Like, it's like everywhere you look is a client that needs your service. Mm. And we teach in our program that you want to deal with your ideal customer, the person that you most enjoy working with. And we even have an acronym for that. And we teach our clients that. But as business owners, 
and we're looking around and we're like, there's clients that we work that want to work. There's clients, there's clients, there's clients. And we are, I think everybody in this space needs what you're talking about, even on startups, because you start right in, right? And there's so much opportunity, we're almost blinded by it. And it changes, as you know, like with a startup, uh, particularly a knowledge worker startup, there's a point where you just want to get out there and almost do anything that works as long as it fits your why and your branding, you know, and it's moral and ethical. But, but there absolutely comes a point, hopefully, if you're successful, where, like you're saying, you really have more opportunity than you can possibly kind of take on. And I mean, I'm at the, the stage now, I'm sure you are, where really you just have to say no a whole lot or not yet, or, or just politely say, this is not for me. But that's prioritization, isn't it? No, you're saying no because of a greater yes is what Stephen Covey said. Like and that. and the the more that you the more opportunity and more information you have, the clearer you need to be about your greater yeses. Usually yeses. <laughs> you know, it's it's time with my kids, time with my neighbour. I want to change some of my land. I want to be able to build a business and coach and train and speak and sell my book. Uh, but but I, I kind of have defined that to the point where it helps me make choices when I get that email. Hey. Can we have a 15, 20 minute conversation? I'm like, oh, I would really love to, but I'm sorry I can't because that 20 minutes will take away from something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, it's about priorita- prioritizing something against something else. And that requires space because most of us haven't had the space to reflect regularly about where we are, what we value, what we want to achieve in the next six months or next year, uh, and, and when our when our goals are changing, because I mean, someone in their thirties will have different goals than someone in their forties. You know, when you're in sixties, seventies, eighties, things that used to be really meaningful in your forties actually stop being as meaningful and you want to shift your priorities. So priorities change as we change as well. And therefore we need to realign our habits and behaviors, particularly digitally based on those things. Yeah. Do you end up having to break some eggs to make the omelet? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel rude, but look, what I've even done is I've got a uh, I've got a number of signature emails where, rather than having to spend ages to write a polite and you know genuinely decline, sorry, I can't, I, I genuinely can't say no, but I don't want to just write no. I'll um I can use the signature and just say oh, thank you so much. I appreciate this, but given you know this and this, I actually can't give you the time. Uh, I don't know, something like that. So, um, yeah, no, I agreed. think that's super wise. Yeah, because, you know, the digital age has done that for us also. I mean, it's, you know, we have access now to CEO cell phone numbers. Like, I, you know, I, my grandfather was a business owner for years and a small business owner in a small town north of Atlanta, and nobody had his home phone number. You know what I mean? Like, and you couldn't get to his business line if you didn't go through Janice, his secretary, right? And he was just a small one-man shop, you know? So, but we live in an age now where, I mean, I've got probably a hundred CEOs, you know, in my cell phone. I can just call them and they know exactly who I am when I'm calling. It's never been more open for us to reach out to just anybody. I really just look at the world these days and I'm like, there is so much opportunity here. It's insane. But that's hard to lasso. It really is. It is. It is. (laughs) 
Well, Daniel, I'd like to segue to your most recent book for a moment, because I know you help a lot of entrepreneurs really find that space, that important space to make them more productive in the long run. And we can talk about that more as well. But I think a lot of it actually starts with children, right? And in this digital age, oh my gosh, I didn't grow up like that, right? With all these digital products around We me. only got 30 minutes of Atari every day. <laughs> that was it. And the rest of the time, we had to be outside. Yeah. Well, look, Michael, I didn't have my own Atari. I had to go to the neighbor to get my 30 minutes. So, you know, you are so wealthy. It's amazing. That's right. That's right. Well, you have three little ones, right? Uh, yeah, well, they're less little than they used to be. My oldest is 15 uh, down to 11. But yes, yeah, so, so uh, little, they're little. Is. Smaller ones, right? And your recent book is Raising Tech Healthy Humans. What an incredible incredible title for today's world. Mm -hmm. As a parent, how do you handle technology with your kids? Yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? Uh, well, look, when I, I used to speak, well, I, I do speak to lots of audiences and mainly leaders about why we should unplug from our technology as a habit and a rhythm to be more productive. So that's the first book, Space Maker. Uh, and the number one question in Q&A was always, how can you help my kids? And so I decided to write a book about the kids part. Yeah, how, how might we do that? Look, what I would say, I mean, so Raising Tech Healthy Humans begins with this idea that we need to be raising adults, not children. And what I mean by that is not that we don't want kids to be kids and to let them play and to muck about and have fun and, and all the beautiful things of childhood. But when we make decisions as parents for our kids' future, whether they're tiny, you know, or whether they get older, we want to be, again, starting with the end in mind. And for me, uh, I want to raise healthy humans, kids who are wholehearted and loving and who can enjoy just the fun and joy of life. You know, obviously as kids to be able to ride bikes and climb trees, but even as they get older to be able to enjoy nature and real relationships and beautiful wine and pay attention to their surroundings and, you know, enjoy the breadth and depth of life with and without a screen. Uh, and yet what we're seeing, uh, particularly in the next generation, uh, is that what's happened What's happened to you and I happened after we had Atari, but we still learned to actually, you know, <laughs> I don't know, eat food and not take a photo of it. Do you know what I mean? But right. the, the new generation <laughs> doesn't have a reference point to life beyond the tech age. And right. there's a challenge with that because uh, what we want to do is raise kids with a healthy brain and healthy self-regulation that, that can experience a whole lot of things in life that include screens, but, but for their entire world not to be online. And so the raising humans idea is that we want to raise adults, not children. We want to raise kids who end up with a really broad depth of experiences and then put screens in its place as a part of that mix, uh, a healthy part of that mix. And in order to do that, Again, given our context, uh, you're going to have to slow down compared to what everyone else is doing because most parents are now giving kids smartphones and tablets really, really young. Um, usually kids are playing with them when they're babies. And by the time they hit what we would call early primary school, I'm not sure what you call it where you are, but let's say, you know, between five and 12 year old kids, they're already owning their own devices on games constantly. And their brains have been adapted to need constant dopamine stimulation because of the flashing lights and variable rewards of Minecraft and Fortnite and all these other kind of activities, social media, that the rest of life starts to look bland and they, they're actually stopping 
learning the joys that are really out in the world beyond us. And the glass is not just a little bit full of tech. I mean, the, the thing that they you, know, you want most in your life is tech if your brain is wired in a particular way. And so I truly believe that the tech leaders of tomorrow, those who will be most able to lead the AI revolution and all, you know, the metaverse and everything else, they will be, they will be kids who actually grew up learning to be humans. And then we added a lot of tech, but for kids who grow up with just complete tech, their brains won't have the capacity, and there's lots of research in this, their brains won't have the ability to focus and think creatively and to, or they may struggle more to be able to manage their mood and to experience the types of life beyond a screen that's needed to then use tech well. So I want us to slow down as parents and I give a very specific program, principles and ideas about how we might invest in our kids, use tech in positive ways and yet not let them become overwhelmed too early so that they can use tech well when they're adults. Yeah, I think that's so important. I'm glad you're doing that. That needs to be a lot of conversation. Our kids are much older. Like our youngest will be 22 in May, and then our oldest is 27, and we got four of them, and they, you know, they're all good, well-rounded kids, but they are adults now, obviously. But um, they grew up with a lot more tech than we did, obviously, and then their kids will just be surrounded by it. And our nieces and nephews that are young, you know, you see this four-year-old walking around with a smartphone that can actually navigate the thing to find what she wants wants to watch and you're like it blows your mind you're like oh my lord like now at four years old so that slow down process when the rest of the whole platform is speed up right mm -hmm. it runs so fast we had this conversation with my mother last night we were over there my mother is mid-70s right she's like i don't want to learn anything else i don't want to learn what an app is i don't want to learn <laughs> and we're in that age where we still have to learn some of it right but we can start washing it away in the younger generation, they don't know how to filter that at all. They don't, they, it's just like, Adam. Drinking from a fire hose, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's not just about volume. I mean, because again, like like you said, your kids would have been on heaps of TV. They would have had the internet. So it's not that they right. were, they're still digital natives uh, rather than immigrants in, in terms of that language. Right. Yeah, exactly. there's, there's a tremendous and substantial difference. This is what parents don't realize between the types of technologies even your kids use, so which would be passive screens, okay? So television, for example, where you're sitting back and the story is coming at you. That's what they grew up with when they were younger, okay? But the kids today are getting interactive screens, which is lean forward technology. So these are the iPads and the iPhones, which is a completely different thing. Now you think about how addicted you get to television compared to how addicted you get to your smartphone. I guarantee you're, you're not sitting on the loo accidentally kind of looking at your emails. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, we are, as adults, we're struggling with the addictive nature of the interactive tools, okay? Sure. Because sure. they're designed with flashing colors and lights with variable rewards, which are designed through billions of dollars of research to make us addicted. They have social cues again, and, and then, you know, like Snapchat has snap streaks. I mean, the, the whole system is designed basically to be an amphetamine hit on the brain. And the difference is you and I have an adult brain, which is fully formed. And then we're wrestling with the addictive nature of these interactive technologies. And so there's a reference point, but a, a child who doesn't even have the ability not to grab a chocolate, who just cries emotionally whenever something happens, like they've got the lizard brain, the fight, flight and freeze brain, but they don't have the cerebral cortex and the prefrontal cortex. They haven't formed the mature parts of the brain that are needed to, to be kind and patient and 
empathetic. They rationalize. Why? Rationalize that they haven't developed the rational brain. Like they literally, like this is not just hearsay. This is science. That right. that doesn't fully develop until they're twenty-two to twenty-five years old. But it's definitely not developed when they're five to twelve years old or zero to five. So, so it's it's the slow experiences of humanity, just doing goo goo gaga, reading books, playing games, having conversations at the table. All that stuff is what develops the the really important part of the brain that makes us good humans uh, and the parts of the brain that we don't want to fire up at that age too much are the lizard brain parts the bits that make you responsive and reactive and flighty and and adrenaline rushed uh, which is what is leading to so much anxiety i think in many ways and adhd i mean this is not hearsay that, that it's an explosion of of problems with attention because our children are being hyper-stimulated using particular devices and apps that are adult apps and adult devices designed for the adult world and are simply not age appropriate for you know, under, well, young kids. And, mm-hmm. and so it sounds like I'm anti-tech because I'm not, I'm really pro-tech, but even the Silicon Valley CEOs won't give their kids these addictive devices because they know that they're highly addictive and yet the majority of us haven't caught on and it'll be like the 80s or 70s when we're like how could we have cigarettes and ashtrays in doctor surgeries and hospitals like what will we help oh, airplanes the research was there we knew it was bad for us like in the 60s and 50s but culture hadn't caught on Right. I think we'll look back in 15 years and go, why were we giving kids phones to play with and saying how smart are they because they can swipe my photos when clearly it was going to make them anxious and wired and impact their mental health as they got older. And so I just really love the next generation. I want them to be yeah. healthier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And influence their thoughts, influence their self-perception, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the danger of it too, but that's a whole other show we could go on and on and on, right? <laughs> But, uh, but Daniel, tell everybody who you help exactly and how you help them. Yeah. So look, there's two different groups, obviously. We've talked about parenting. I mean, it's a bit of a side hustle for me just because I care about kids, but I do speak with parents and help them make great tech choices just to slow down without rejecting tech. But the vast majority of what I do is working with busy leaders, adults, entrepreneurs who feel like they're online all the time. And they're they're smashed by emails, they're smashed by online meetings, they can never keep up and they actually need more space. And so we talk about practical habits to use technology well. I've got a course, Email Ninja, which has got like 20,000 students. How do you get your inbox to zero? So how do you use technology well Uh, and then to to be productive? Uh, But then how do you also unplug as a habit in particular and smart ways based on the research, maybe take free meals, silence at the start and end of the day, you know, maybe have some exercise without earbuds, you know, to process your thoughts rather than other people's thoughts. So so some particular habits that are needed to make space to be more productive by unplugging and getting out of digital overuse. So you hit that sweet spot of using tech well, but not allowing it to dictate the texture of every moment. And so I, I coach, I train, I write, I speak on this stuff. That's fantastic. And in spacemakersgroup.ca, is that the best way for people to reach out to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, in, from a North American audience, that's our Canadian branch. If you're in you know, the other side of the world, spacemakers.com.au will get you to me directly. 
and raisinghumans.au backslash gift. I've got a whole heap of great free resources that parents can get if they want to get a really good head start on this. But if you're right an inquiry, we do do training in Canada and across North America. That's awesome. I would say that you've got about just shy of 8 billion persons that are your ideal customer. No kidding. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I was listening to one of your branding podcasts just last night, another one, and I was thinking about my ideal audience because again, you know, it's important to have a niche and there are, I have subgroups within the subgroups, but ultimately I'm like, my niche is a bit big. It's like niche people who are overwhelmed with technology, but niche space, that is really who I work with. Because it's, it's who I care about, and it's and it's who I am. I, I'm not someone who just walks around on a cloud with all this space and free time. <laughs> you know, I I teach best what I most need to know, and I've struggled with this for long enough, and read enough, and made enough mistakes to hopefully at least point people in the right direction of some things that can help. It sounds to me like you can absolutely. And you know, as we discussed before we went live, we also struggle sometimes with saying no, but we have to, right? And we want to bring on the best content and the greatest guests on. And that's really why we chose you because not only are you like, what a amazing personality. Brought to you by Brandface, the only comprehensive personal brand building system across the globe.